We all make mistakes, and even in the era of digital transformation, business and finance grudgingly accept the reality that we make mistakes. However, when it comes to information security, the preference is to minimize the mistakes because the repercussions can range from fines to revenue losses to even a right to do business. With us today is Daniel Chu, Director of Systems Engineering at ExtraHop Networks, to share with us his opinion, experience, and expertise on our topic. Daniel, welcome to Podcast for Future CIO. Thanks, Alan. Happy to be here. Okay. Now, first off, uh, why don't you give us this 30-second elevator pitch of what ExtraHop is? Yeah, sure. So ExtraHop is a cybersecurity company. Uh, we focus on what we call NDR, or Network Detection and Response. And that's the ability to detect and respond to active threats in your environment, be it on-premise or in the cloud. Now, a lot of this network telemetry has been more perimeter-based focus in the past with firewalls and IDSs and proxies. Um, the whole promise of NDR as a solution is the ability to not just look at the perimeter, but looking at within the perimeter. Um, your critical assets, be your database, your active directory, your DNS infrastructure, to really understand if there's any malicious actors already post-compromise in your perimeter. What are the top three security automation strategy mistakes that CIOs make today? For security automation, maybe I can first take a step back and talk about the problem statement. Uh, I think most security operations centers are up against increasingly sophisticated attackers, and the security ops center or SOC oftentimes are seen as a cost center. So there are lean teams, and there's a very well-documented 0% unemployment rate of cybersecurity, and so there's a lot of skill shortage when it comes to it. At the end of the day, they're oftentimes asked to do more with less. And so the whole point of security automation is to really help reduce some of those frictions that comes along. The result of these sophisticated attackers, these call center and these do more with less mentality is that there's obviously uh, more breaches happening, right? But breaches are going to be inevitable, but how fast it takes to respond to a breach is oftentimes the big concern here, right? Um, if you look at different reports like FireEye in their M-Trends report last year mentioned the median time for someone to identify that they've been breached and remove the breach is 94 days in APJ, which means that there's a huge significant amount of time between when someone gets compromised and when the good guys find out that they've been breached. The additional points of that are happening here is there's also burnout that's happening with the security operations center where they're oftentimes overworked and understaffed. So that's kind of the primary here in terms of why security automation is here, right? It's, it's here to help really programmatically move things at machine speed, help detect, help respond, and response in the form of investigating and remediating cyber threats, right? And I, I want to say security automation as a whole is seen as a force multiplier and not necessarily a replacement of humans, right? And that's a big one. And that kind of leads me into some of the mistakes that CIOs make when it comes to security automation. Uh, the, the first one is obviously you're not replacing humans. This is a way to really help be a false multiplier for these people who are asked to do more with less. The second one is with all security automation technology, it's oftentimes perceived, especially after you hear a product pitch, after you see the data sheets, you go to a live show and you see how great it, the work it promises, kind of might undervalue the people and process that is taken and is needs to be involved in to really have a good security automation strategy. Uh, you can only automate what you're certain about, 
And so there's a lot of big promises being made in the industry about security automation, but you have to really understand the people and processes that are in place, right? And I'll take, for example, right? I think a lot of large organizations have implemented stuff like ERP, but you can't just buy an ERP product and have it working, right? You need to have your team and your teams to have their buy-ins and their inputs. And you need to have, let's say, SAP's consultants come in and provide the guidance, the best practices, and ask the right questions to get this implemented and have the right processes in place. And I would say that's very similar in terms of a security automation. And that's a common mistake is I buy the technology, I hear the pitch, it sounds good, but I forget and I neglect the people and processes that are who make it happen. And the third one, when it comes to mistakes with in terms of security automation is you're only as good in terms of your automations, be it in the form of, let's say, automating a detection, investigation, or mediation. You're only as good as what telemetry and visibility you start out with. And so the first questions I normally ask when I talk with the security operations is, where are you getting your data and your telemetry? And most people start out with their security information and event management, their SIM, right? I'm logging my firewall or I'm logging my proxy servers. Great, now you have visibility of traffic coming in and out of the data center. But what about your missing critical mainframe, your database, your internet banking, your online commerce system? These are also mission critical services. What's your visibility there, right? Because you can talk great pitch about automation, but what's your underlying telemetry that you're using to drive a lot of these automated tests? So in the modern stock today, we always have to remind our customers that yes, you have SIM with logging, but where are you logging and making sure we have good coverage. Now, obviously a lot of people have endpoint detection and response where EDR solutions or legacy antivirus solutions installed on different PCs. That's great, you have telemetry on the end host level, but is it only on workstation or are you also providing endpoint detection response on your servers? Is it all servers or only Windows, right? And so making sure that there's good coverage there. And finally, from ExtraHop's perspective, the network is an untapped point of rich data as well, right? The network will see all traffic traversing the environment, whether you have logs or agents installed or not, it will be able to see stuff like IoT devices, bring your own devices or legacy systems where you can't necessarily install logs or agents, but you still need to have telemetry for. So if you take logging, you take agents, you put network data together, that gives you a more holistic visibility to help trigger a lot of the automated tests. And that will be kind of the third thing that I think gets overlooked when trying to adopt a security automation strategy. Not all networks are created equal, especially these days where you have on-prem, in the cloud, you've got private and public cloud, and then you've got these multi-clouds or hybrid environments. What are the business challenges that CIOs need to worry about when implementing security measures that cover across all of these different platforms? Great question. So there was definitely solutions that were more, I would say, legacy that were built for on-premise and designed for on-premise and do a great job for your on-premise deployments. And there's a lot of these next-gen vendors that are, grew up in the cloud and are designed for the cloud. And is now when you're talking about hybrid clouds, be it in AWS and Azure and GCP, you want to make sure that there's uniformity across the board in terms of your on-premise as well as your different clouds. So that's definitely the challenge. I think I would like to first make the comment that a lot of these cloud providers are providing great native tools and platforms to help secure their environment. There's great logging, there's automation workflows built into a lot of these, but they're very specific to specific cloud providers of their choice, right? Um, so that's the challenge of this um, multiple vendors and multiple technologies and not a single unified way to do things. But I think in general, a lot of the CIOs and the high level may have potentially an over trust, if I should say, of cloud providers, right? And so all the cloud providers provide what they call a shared responsibility model. 
And what that means is they'll be in charge of the security of the cloud, the infrastructure and all those in place. But you as the customer leveraging our services are in charge of the security in the cloud. The data that sits in the cloud, the configurations you need to safeguard those data, that's on you as the customer. So you have to want to make sure you don't over trust the cloud providers and really understand where your responsibilities are still. What happens is, yeah, a lot of people just think I throw it up in the cloud. There's inherent security there where there is, but only of the cloud and not in the cloud. Now, the challenges with also deploying in the cloud is you oftentimes lose a lot of visibility and control that you used to have in the on-premise world. We talked about telemetry being on the endpoint agents for loggings and the network, especially the network is oftentimes overlooked in the cloud setting because your AWSs, your GCPs, your Azures, your Ali clouds, they all kind of take away the network components so you don't need to worry about that, right? But there's a lot of still valuable insights that can be tapped there in terms of visibility for automated detections and responses that needs to be um, looked at. I would say the third point here in terms of the cloud is when you're dealing with the cloud, your attack surface is different and so is your risk profile. Cloud attacks are inherently different from an on-premise attack. If you look at some of the top cloud attacks and compare them to the top on-premise attacks, there's quite some difference. Some top cloud attacks can be stuff like API credential exposures that allow for account hijacking, something you don't see in the on-premise world because it's hard to necessarily access APIs directly. Um, and I think everyone knows about the infamous S3 buckets by Amazon where public files are, files that are meant to be private are exposed publicly for exposure. And that can be databases or object storage files. And so these are some of the things to be just cognizant of as you move to the cloud is your attack surface is different, so your risk profile is different. So the way we try to do the detection and response for them has to also be in the line. Now, security specialists warn us of expanding attack vectors. Dif depending on the type of the uh, malware, the, the attack can have a very long life cycle. Now, why is mm -hmm. it crucial for businesses to detect activities at every stage of an attack life cycle? We mentioned about the dwell time, right? And in fact, I think in APJ, the Mandian report I was talking about mentioned around 75% of all their breaches were externally notified. So it was not even within the organization themselves where we realized that we got breached. And so the attack life cycle, I think it's worth talking about the cyber kill chain, right? And depending what model you use, there's the initial reconnaissance to the initial access, the bad actor, once they get access, they'll try to establish some persistence, they'll try to escalate their privileges, they move laterally, they'll try to exfiltrate data, and then they'll try to set up a command and control, right? So there's a lot of logical steps to a typical attack life cycle. From a cybersecurity posture perspective, it's really important that these are all opportunities to detect and respond at the different components along the kill chain, right? Be it during the initial access to the privilege escalations to the final exfiltrations. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we have the technology, the right telemetry, be it with logs, with endpoints, or with network telemetry? telemetry to be able to detect them? And do we have the processes in place to do something about them? And if I do a very concrete example, I think it's been a very high profile supply chain attacks uh, recently with the SolarWinds. This is a, a case of supply chain attack where a server that's already compromised in your environment. And so you can have dedicated firewalls and proxies and IDSs and IPS securing your perimeter. But in the case of an attack such as a supply chain attack, they're not traversing the perimeter, right? They're already inside 
outside the perimeter. So the question becomes, do you have the telemetry to detect something that's not coming from the outside coming in, but the lateral movement, the privilege escalations that already are progressing to step three, four, and five before a final exfiltration where you're hoping your perimeter-based security solutions can detect them. So being able to look at across the cyber kill chain and seeing these as opportunities to detect and respond and having something in place and being able to measure that uh, is really important. And some people align to the MITRE attack framework as a way to really understand and quantify what is especially are the tactics, techniques, and procedures being leveraged to at each point of the cyber kill chain. So they can measure, okay, my EDR tool covers these TTPs or tactics, techniques, and procedures in these components, but I need a solution that covers the discovery phase or the escalation phase. My logs and my agents or my network doesn't do the job. So that's, that's a way to really gauge how prepared you are in your security posture by looking across the whole attack lifecycle. Now, every CIO and CISO have preconceived ideas of what cybersecurity or information security is to them. Now, why is it important for CIOs to be able to change their mindsets when it comes to securing, in this case, the automation process? I think the biggest mind shift change that needs to be done and also to kind of manage up to the board, right, is cybersecurity, a breach is almost inevitable in these days, right? It's not about if, it's about when. And so when you have this post-compromise mindset, it's really about managing those risks and talking about it in the form of resiliency. When we talk about resiliency, it's making sure obviously you have like the right technologies in place to catch the suspicious events. Mm-hmm. You have the process and the measures to react quickly to event and also your security team is well equipped to effectively investigate and provide more knowledge for future uh, so we can prevent it from happening right that's the resiliency piece and so that mindset i think is really important is that you're not a failure at your job if if you get breached right um, we've seen that the best have all been breached at some point in time so it is inevitable when you have nation state actors potentially with virtually unlimited resources um, targeting you and then all it takes is a loose thread so having that resiliency in that mindset is, is super important right um, educating everyone within the organization that it's about when, but having the right plans and process and technology in place to really respond to them. And kind of going back to it, so it's not just about checking the box with automation, but really having that mindset and putting that investment into the people and process to really be a force multiplier and not necessarily just check a box and saying, hey, we can reduce X amount of headcounts by automating this type of workflow. Finally, moving forward, how can a business or businesses stay resilient? Because you used that word resilient just a while ago. When encountering potential network security threats, given the scale and size of these things that you've been talking about. Yeah, that's a big and tough question, right? I think if we were to drill down into the different concepts of resiliency, right? First, having the right technology in place. Do you just have log or do you just have antivirus? Is that sufficient to secure my critical workloads or my mission critical revenue generating applications, right? Do I have the right technology in place? And then when I do detect something, do I have the right data sets to really investigate those things, right? There's one thing to detect something. There's another to be able to do investigations um, to really determine is it a true or false positive, right? So that's the technology piece. But the other component that's really important is how can I react quickly to this event? That means going through some tabletop exercises and doing some internal rehearsals, but it also means having some specific workloads and guided decision trees within your organizations, either automated or still on paper to really understand when this happens, I know exactly what I need to do to react quickly to events. And then having that ultimately documented. There's a lot of tribal knowledge in every single organization 
in the world, especially so in cybersecurity where some people can see something because they've been around for a longer time and know something bad's happening, whereas someone who's looking at it, who's just a new hire, might not have the right context, right? And so that the whole promise of the security automation is really to take a lot of that tribal knowledge and really automate it into a nice playbook so you can really adequately catch a detection, respond to it quickly, and investigate it to really triage and validate that follow-up, having the documentation so we have these lessons learned moving forward. Daniel, thank you for joining me on Podcast for Future CIO. It's been a pleasure. That was Daniel Chu, Director of Systems Engineering at ExtraHop Networks, on the topic of fixing the top three security mistakes CIO make. You are listening in to Podcast for Future CIO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We also would like to invite you to sign up for our weekly free newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podchats for Future CIO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podchats for Future CIO. Bye for now. Music